Hello again. Welcome to Tell Me. On today's episode of Tell Me, I'm talking to Miss Pat. Miss Pat is many things. She's an author. She has a TV show called The Miss Pat Show. She has a podcast called The Pat Down. And I heard about Miss Pat through my good friend Debbie Allen, who directed the pilot of her show. She's just hilarious. She's a comedian by trade. And the world has caught on and finally sees her for the breath of fresh air that she is. And so many gems. She's so smart and so funny. And I had an absolute ball talking to her. I hope you enjoy this episode of Tell Me. Miss Pat. Hello. How you doing, Alan? <laughs> I'm good. I'm so glad that we're finally getting to do this. Debbie Allen keeps asking me, have you interviewed Miss Pat yet? Have you interviewed Miss Pat yet? So finally, here we are. Yes. She just taped the fifth episode of my sitcom. And she was like, I think Ellen is going to call you. I was like, okay, Debbie. <laughs> yeah. How fun is Debbie? Isn't it so fun to work with her? It is. It's a lot of fun. She shot the pilot to our sitcom when we was over at Fox. When we first asked for it, I was like, she's never going to do this. And she read the script and she's like, oh, my God, I love it. So she come back, you know, each season that we get renewed and she promises to shoot one or two. Yeah. She just has this amazing quality and she knows how to talk to performers and get you, even if you're not feeling it. She has this great way of helping you understand why it makes sense. She has a really good way about her that she is able to calm you right down and get you through it. She was able to help me out a lot because I'm a first-time actress. For me to come from doing stand-up to go into acting, it was hard. And she just took me to her house and she took me to her studio and she sat me down and she was like, look, I'm going to show you how to do this. And they had given me an acting coach. But along with the acting coach, I had to also go over to Debbie Allen house every day to learn how to act. She helped me out a lot. Like, I hadn't kissed another man 20-some years. And I was like, I'm not kissing this man. I don't know him. And she was like, come here, bitch. This is acting. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, oh, okay. So she helped me out a lot. She really did. Right. You're married, aren't you? Yeah, I've been married uh, about 28 years. Yeah, I saw you on Charlemagne on The Breakfast Club, and I saw you talking about your husband. I love that story. I love your face lights up when you talk about him. So how did he feel? Because I know I had to kiss a lot of guys on my show. <laughs> and I've been with my husband for like 19 years. And, you know, he definitely, definitely feels some type of way about it and, you know, doesn't want to talk about it. He just kind of walked through the kitchen and grumbled. <laughs> Well, in the beginning, I was struggling because I was like, I don't want to kiss this man. And I was like, look, they're paying you to kiss that man. Go kiss that man. And so <laughs> now he's like, hold on, y'all kissing too much. I'm like, well, tell it to the writer. You told me to kiss him last season, remember? So now I'm kissing him. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely something that we have to deal with as actors. So how's it going? Do you feel more comfortable with acting? You're doing season two. So congratulations on the pickup because listen, That's not easy to get a show picked up for a second season. Oh, it's not easy. The acting is coming along pretty good. You know, like, we go really deep. We try to tackle topics that you wouldn't see on network TV because we on streaming. So I can tell you, this season went really deep. I was even able to tap into crying, which was shocking to me. I was able to tap into crying. So that was a big emotional push for me. Is that because you have your guard up? You're so used to having to be so hard and having to be so tough that you're just, you know, don't allow yourself to be vulnerable ever? Yeah, it has a lot to do with my upbringing. 
where I come from, how I was raised. And, you know, I just think I put this in my head. A woman shouldn't cry. You should be tough. When you cry, it shows weakness. So I rarely cry. If I cry, I really got to hit you because that's how upset I am. Yeah, I feel very similar to you in that way. Obviously, I have to cry a lot for my job. I grew up in Boston and you had to be really tough. And part of that toughness is why I'm able to survive in this business for 25 years. One thing I've learned about this business that I really never cared anything about, because I'm a comedian. When you're a comic, you work on your own. You depend on yourself. You can't be honest. You know, like I come from a world where you tell a person what the hell is on your mind. You take it how you want it and you keep going. They don't do that in Hollywood. You got to play like you like somebody, even though you want to snap they knee. And I just told him, I said, I don't know how y'all kiss the ring, but I'm going to go back to doing stand up because I'm in the wrong damn business. And when I first noticed it, it started like in the writer's room on my first season. And I had to tell somebody, I was like, you're fucking horrible. <laughs> <laughs> And I had to go through all this stuff with corporate and stuff. They were like, you can't tell somebody. Well, why can't I tell this person he fucking suck at this? I mean, I never wrote a script, but I know this ain't funny. So I had to learn how to say, is there another way we can try this? Because that's corporate America way. And that was really hard for me because I'm a comic and I'm from the street. And if you don't like something, you just say, I don't like that. Or that suck. Or you ain't funny. Because that's what we do as comedians. But no, not when you're in the TV world. You got to be nice and you got to learn to lie. It's so true. But I will say this. You're absolutely right. And I, too, have had a long journey of learning how to talk to writers and the right way to say things. And especially when people see me, you know, before they talk to me, you know, a skinny little white lady, they're really not expecting me to have any streak in me. I mean, once they meet me, they find out pretty quick. But at first glance... They think you bake cookies. Yes, exactly. They think (laughs) I bake cookies. And so it's even more jarring for them because then I'm really must be mean because I look this way and I speak this way and I speak my mind, but I've gotten a lot better. But I also think it's what makes the world go round. If everybody was proper dopper and watching their P's and Q's and saying everything... How boring would the world be if you were so straight down the line and so worrying about everything you said? And this is a really tough time for comedians because you really do have to watch what you say because cancel culture. But I'd be bored to tears if we were in a room full of executives our whole life. Come on. We'd have no art. We'd have no culture. We need a little bit of madness. I remember when I first started getting the TV and I would leave out the room. I was like, I see why people rob (laughs) y'all. And I guess corporate American sense with no street sense. And I would be there pitching and sitting there talking to them and they wouldn't know anything about the world that I came from. I guess that's why they were so interested and thank God that they was. But I mean, as far as cancel culture, I've been the same person 50 years come April and I've never changed and I'm not planning on changing. If you don't like it, then excuse my French, fuck off. Amen. Because this is me. 
This is Amen. all I can be. I can't be nothing else. And I'd rather be around people that wants to be honest and blunt and tell me what's on their mind instead of, you know, beating around the bush. Just tell me how you feel and tell me what you want. Tell me what you don't like. And then we can move the hell on. But if you've got to go all the way around to China and back, we're never going to meet eye to eye. Mm-hmm. Those are the people I hate. Right. What I've learned from sets, because I went to quite a few sitcom them before we taped ours and especially before it moved to Atlanta. And I remember when we moved to Atlanta, you know, a lot of the grip people behind the camera was white. Well, we're using the N-word in my show. And we're talking about things that go on in America with Black America. And I remember having a talk with the grip people. And I said, I don't want to make you guys feel uncomfortable. But this show is based off of my life. And a lot of things you're going to hear and you're about to be a part of that you was never, ever be a part of. And I remember when the season was over, one of the group guys came to me because we did an episode about my black son and living in an all-white neighborhood, letting his white friends use the N-word. And I remember one of the group guys coming up to me. He said, I never seen it like that before. He said, I never thought about it like that. And so when we got the second season and I look up and all the group who is white is back. And they're like, oh, Miss Pat, we love this show. So when we're using words and we're talking about what goes on in, in the Black America, because I can only speak from Black America because I'm Black, they're no longer uncomfortable. So I've learned with being on set, I include them. If I get out there and dance, everybody's going to get out there and dance. And one thing I don't allow that I learned in Hollywood that just hurts me, Ellen, and they still do this because I guess it's a corporate American way. They will make the extra weight to eat and let the stars eat. And I say, you know, I've been on the other side before. We all human. Come on, y'all, let's eat together. And they was like, where the hell you come from? Because I want all of us to be equal. It takes everybody in this building to make this work. And I'm no better than you because my name is on this billboard. We're equal, baby. The only thing is different is my paycheck. But I'm still going to treat you because we both can go to Walmart and get groceries together. Mm-hmm. So I just broke that up and I just try to come down to everybody level and let them know that if I'm out here dancing, come on, baby, you dance too. Come on, baby, you rap too. And it made me feel good when I looked up and people was asking to come back to work on the Miss Pat show for the second season. Good for you, because that's what sets need. Sets are places where people walk on eggshells. There's a hierarchy. Everybody's scared of this person. People are scared of me. I don't even know why. If I'm coughing in a scene and I'm like, oh, my goodness, I need some water. Seven people rush up with a bottle of water. (laughs) It's just like, could everyone just calm down? I just said I need some water. It's true. It's like that culture is created from, you know, a hundred years ago. It's the way they operate sets. You hear about some stories where people are saying, don't look the talent in the eye. No one has ever probably said, don't look me in the eye. No one's probably (laughs) ever said that. That's something that an AD made up to have power over background people or whatever. You know, everybody power trips. It's true. And that's precisely why you need to be in the entertainment business. So important. And I'm glad you're taking your platform and making the most with it because that does help chip away at the culture of how we make TV. And it just makes it better. Yeah, because in the end, it takes everybody to make it work. One of the things I didn't like in Hollywood, how the upper people would yell And I was like, dude, why are you talking to that person like that? Because you know, nine times out of 10, if you wasn't on this set, you wouldn't be talking like that because I probably would knock you in the mouth on the set and out the set. 
So I just say, I'm never going to talk to people like that. I'm going to treat people the way I want to be treated. So you're not allowed to yell at no extra, no standing. Everybody shows respect. There's no hierarchy. We are all the same on this set. That is amazing. And if every set ran that way, you'd have a lot less problems. Yeah. So you have a podcast too, right? Yeah, it's called The Pat Down. I know, I love that title. I love that title. How's that? You having fun doing that? I am having a lot of fun doing it. I've been doing it now almost three years. I didn't think I would like it in the beginning, but I realized I like to talk. So uh, <laughs> it comes out every Tuesday. I'm also on a morning show here in Atlanta, along with shooting the second season of my show. But I like the podcast. It let me be free. I get to say whatever I want to say. And it's my platform. I get to do me. You know, when I get up in the morning and I go clock in for a radio show, oh, you got to be like, oh, you can't say that. I can say whatever the hell I want to say on the pad now. You know, I just dropped my first hour special on Netflix called Y'all Want to Hear Something Crazy. Oh, you did? Oh, yeah. I'm telling crazy stories about how I grew up here in the city of Atlanta. And just talking about being married, raising her. I have a gay daughter. She gay, gay, gay. And I love her. <laughs> <laughs> um, she just left on surprise. She was like, give me a gay shout out, mama. Because everything I do, she want a gay shout out. <laughs> uh-huh. Amazing. <laughs> What's her name? Her name is Ashley. She's 35. So she's my oldest. And I have custody of my niece, four kids. So I, I call them my crack babies. On the special, I talk about raising them and, you know, what it is to have kids back in your house when all of your kids are grown. But it's a pretty good special. It takes you on a journey into my life and when I was really young until I got grown. Right. Nice. So what does that look like? Like you just did a show and then they just film it? Robert Townsend directed it. We shot two shows, the same show, which is an hour, and then we put it together. We just took a club and did it all over, and it turned out pretty well. Wanda Sykes was the producer of it. Oh, nice, nice. So when you write your material, what's your style? When you're just driving around or taking care of your babies and you just think of something, do you write it down or you'll just remember stuff? I write it down or I try to remember it, but mine always comes from what I've been through that day or what I've been through in life, my childhood. You know, just yesterday, I tell you a crazy story I'm probably going to put on stage and I'm my husband have a Lincoln Aviator, you know, a little SUV, and I parked it, and somebody parked really close to the door. And I couldn't get in the car. Like, I'm a plus-size woman, and nobody was considered enough to say, maybe this woman is fat, so let me not park too close to the driver door. I had to take my pants off, Ellen, and get in the car and <laughs> climb over the seat because I had on some leather pants, and they wouldn't scratch that wild girl. So I'm riding down the highway in my underwear, I'm so mad. And Pam, my PR person, is blowing me up. And I'm like, I don't want to tell this lady I'm damn naked riding down the street. And I'm like, Lord, please don't let the police pull me on because I'm flying because I had an interview. And then by this time, I'm sweating. I don't have on my good underwear, but I got on some underwear. And I'm sticking to the seat. Oh, I was so mad yesterday. (laughs) That story, that is everything. I was trying to get somewhere where I can pull over and put my pants back on. <laughs> but I had an interview to get to, and I'm trying, and she blowing up my phone. I'm like, I'm stuck in traffic, but I didn't want to say, I don't have on no pants. <laughs> <laughs> and so finally, I'm, by the time I pull over, I'm sweating so bad, I'm sweating out of my navel. I was like, oh, yesterday was so bad for me. Because I had my hair done for the interview, and, and I got to sweat in my wig, got to sliding back, and I didn't have any glue. 
I was angry yesterday. <laughs> oh my God. And it wasn't even a Monday. You just have those days where just nothing goes right. Nothing was going right when that person messed up my whole day by parking too close to my door. And that's why, you know, having a sense of humor, I mean, it helps you through everything when you can have a sense of humor about things. Well, I tell people all the time, and I said it at the end of my special, I said, when you can laugh at what you've been through in life, then that means you have control of it. I'm not going to dwell on anything I can't change. I can't change the past. I didn't pick my mama. I didn't pick the life that I went through. So I chose to laugh at it. I find the funny in everything. I mean... I have a son that I had when I was 15. And at the time, they had made a mistake with a little boy and we had to bring him back to get circumcised. Well, I ended up going to prison. So now my son blamed me for him not being circumcised. So he was like, well, what am I supposed to do with all this extra skin? I'm like, well, roll it down like some socks, baby. I don't know. You 20-something years old. <laughs> so I'm trying to find the funny in everything. And he's like, I don't think that's funny, mom. I'm like, well, I do. Yeah, I mean, that will hurt now to get circumcised as a grown-up. I would think that would be real painful. That was one of the worst days of my life, the day I took my son to get circumcised. Oh, my goodness. He was just a little baby, and he screamed, and I was just a mess. I was hysterical crying. I was like, why am I doing this to him? <laughs> That's a hard thing. How long did you go to prison for? It was a year for trafficking drugs. I was making my mistakes in the early 90s, so it wasn't as bad as it is now. I did some things before that three-strike rule came out, mm -hmm. which was the dumbest law ever made. People still sitting in jail behind that law. So I went up under the radar with that. So I was a little blessed out there. Yeah, it's crazy because the jails were overcrowded during COVID. But it's like if they wouldn't be overcrowded if they didn't convict people on marijuana charges. It's like people should not be in jail for marijuana. It's like cigarettes and alcohol have been legal forever. Why is marijuana criminalized still? It's ridiculous. Is it decriminalized? In some places, uh, I think Colorado. Yeah. My friend Jesse Williams is very smart about all this. I don't know if you know Jesse Williams. Mm -hmm. I met him several times. Jesse is very educated about all of these laws and the criminalization and decriminalization and all of that. He's getting ready to do a show on Broadway called Take Me Out. He has to be naked on stage in that play. And Debbie and I was just talking about it, going to New York to see him when it opens. And I said, I can't see Jesse naked on stage. Wait a and minute. It's, Butt naked? Well, the play Take Me Out, it's like a play that's been around. I don't think this is a new show. And then, yeah, he's playing a gay baseball player. No, I want to know, is he butt naked? I mean, like a newborn baby. I mean, I don't really know, Pat, but I'm honestly not really trying to find out either. I mean, I have to go support my friend. And, you know, Debbie, that's like her son, right? On our show, he does play her son. And I was like, what are we going to do? How are we going to go see this show? Because you want good seats, but you want to be up close. But if he's going to be naked on stage, we don't want to be up close. So, you know, we have a real situation to figure out, Pat. Maybe you could come with us. Child, I'm going to bring you some eye patches. Give me your seat. <laughs> we'll go I'm... together. Let's go together. Will you meet me and Debbie in New York? Yeah, I'll just cover your eyes. <laughs> okay, that would be fun. I think if the three of us went, that would be real fun. That would be really fun because I would be looking at Jesse William naked. I've okay. seen him with clothes on. <laughs> we're not inviting your husband. Oh, no, we're not inviting nobody's husbands. <laughs> <laughs> I know my husband's definitely not going to see Jesse naked. No way. I know I'm mixing. We ain't inviting anybody. Just up. Uh, this is going to be a Stella got a groove back. <laughs> <laughs> 
So do you like L.A.? Wait, did you shoot the first season in L.A.? I shot the pilot in L.A. And what'd you think? It was okay. I shot it on a Fox studio. It was pretty good. I really wanted to shoot it in Atlanta because that's where I'm from. So when we got moved to Atlanta, I was really happy. But I'll be back in L.A. I'm going to do Kelly Clarkson's show. Oh, nice. Yeah. Do you have some time? You should come over to the set and visit Debbie and I. I'll let her know. I talked to Debbie yesterday. I'm going to call her. I'll be there for like two days. Oh, I would love it. We're over on the east side of town. I've been there before. I don't think he was there when I came. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Okay, well, if you can come back or I'll come see you too. Me and Debbie will come see you if you can't get over to our side. I mean, I've been hearing about you for so long. I mean, Debbie just loves you so much. I called her yesterday and I was like, I think I'm coming to do Kelly Clarkson next week. So I'm going to try to stop in and we'll hang out and stuff like that. We definitely can get together. And I definitely want to go see Jesse Williams naked. <laughs> I know his girlfriend, but no hard feelings. I want to see Jesse Williams naked. <laughs> yeah, that'll be fun for sure. You're busy though. Do you still do stand-up? I'm off the road right now until July. As soon as I finish shooting these episodes, I'm going back on the road. I'm working on a new hour because I just shot my last hour last year in September. It came out in February. So I'm just working on getting that new hour together and touring, and hopefully I'll be touring into the next year. Were you into comedy when you were little? I know that you said once you found comedy, you knew that that was it for you. Were you watching Raw and, you know, Eddie Murphy and Richard Pryor and all those, like when we were little? Were you watching those specials? No, I never was into comedy. I never thought I was funny. I can tell you my mother was very funny. And, you know, the household that I lived in, a lot of us was very funny, but I never, like, paid attention to stand-up. You know, we didn't go watch stuff like Raw and Run Tell That with uh, Martin Lawrence. Never was. Never had an interest in it until I walked into a caseworker office and she was like, you're missing your calling. You should be a comedian. And I was like, a comedian? I went home and I looked it up and I saw how much Richard Pryor was making at that time what they say he was making. And I was like, you make all this money to tell your business? <laughs> and then the more I got into it, the more I just fell in love with it. And the more personal I got, I realized there was so many other women out there in the world that had gone through or understood what I had gone through in my life. But, you know, I didn't know, like, I thought teenage pregnancy only happened in the Black community. I didn't realize that shit happened in all communities. But it was just as crazy in the Black community. It wasn't the white and Asian and Mexican and everywhere else. But I was talking loud about it. You know, like, hey, look what happened to me. And then I realized people would come up to me after the show. I was like, I had my baby at 14. And I'm like, what? You're not the right caller. And they was like, yes, I am. This just happened to everybody. So it made me really wanted to tell my story more the more I learned that other people had went through what I went through in life and could relate to the stuff. Yeah, I mean, you said you didn't think you were going to like the podcast at first. And that's kind of precisely one of the reasons why I wanted to do a podcast is so I could have people like you on to talk about your stories, talk about your life, because people do feel so alone and they do feel so isolated and like they're the only ones going through what they're going through. But when you hear lots of different people's stories, you understand, oh, this isn't so crazy and, you know, all of that. So why did you think you wouldn't like the podcast? It takes up a lot of time. And I didn't know if I would have the material. I didn't know if I would have the fan base. It's not easy to build a podcast when you're not super famous. So it just took me a minute to say, well, should I do this? And I didn't know if I had the time because I was so busy grinding on my comedy career, you know, trying to get the show on. It took five years to get the TV show up and going. And then, you know, trying to get a Netflix special and then 
trying to get clubs to book me more. My focus was all over the place. And I didn't just didn't think I would have the time and dedication. And, you know, I didn't think I would like it. And I gave it a try. And I was like, I really like this. It's really a stress reliever because you can sit there and you can vent. And then when you put it out and other people can vent with you. And I love the feedback from it. You did that Joe Rogan podcast, right? Mm-hmm. Several times. What, what's that like? Joe has always been nice to me. You know, a lot of people went in my inbox with the whole, what do you think about Joe? I said, I can't judge a person when you take a whole bunch of clips and put them together. I've learned in Hollywood, and you have to tell me what it's called, when they can drop words in your mouth, what is it called? When you say something, you'll say it right, and then they call you at home and say, record this, and they drop it in your mouth. Oh, it's dub it, right? Yes. And I'm like, that's not the Joe Rogan I know. You know, I know Joe Rogan. I don't think Joe Rogan is racist. Me and Joe Rogan talked when that came out. He's one of the reasons why I started my podcast. I like the guy. And that's what I told people. I said, you're not going to make me turn my back on somebody because somebody done dubbed a bunch of bullshit together. You got to see what content is using. So if you just took a whole bunch of shit and put it together, you know, oh, well, be it. I don't pay attention to that. They want clicks. They want noise. They trying to get rid of Joe Rogan and they trying to find a way to counsel him. And next thing you know, they're going to tell you he's flying with wings on his back and we should get rid of him because he don't want to walk anymore. Yeah, I mean, I didn't like the stuff he was saying about vaccines and all that, calling the doctors, you know, crazy and they don't know what they're talking about. And, you know, everyone has their opinion about that. But I wasn't into that. But that's his opinion. If he don't want to get the shot, he ain't got to get the goddamn shot. Right. But what bothered me about it was like, I have a lot of friends who are doctors and nurses who are spending days rolling bodies. You know, nurses using the same mask every day, exhausted, tired, spent, and they were at their wit's end. And, you know, for me, it felt disrespectful to them because there's all these people that didn't care about it. They didn't care about them. You know, they were having to deal with everybody that gets COVID. And then people don't get vaccinated when they get COVID, then they go to the hospital and they want the nurses to take care of them. And it's like, to me, I didn't love some of the stuff that he was saying because I feel for the medical community. Well, I do too. That's why I went out and got vaccinated. And I have a friend that always conspiracy theory, you know, like, oh, you shouldn't get vaccinated. It's killing black people. It's this and that. And I just finally had to say, look here, bitch, you do you and I'm going to do me because mm -hmm. I want to be vaccinated. I don't want to overwork nurses and doctors. I believe that this shit is real. But hey, some people believe Santa Claus is real and you can't tell them Santa Claus ain't real. So I've learned in the world, you let people do what they do. And you do what you do. I mean, hey, some people don't believe in God. Some people don't believe in Jesus Christ. When people have a different opinion, that does not mean we can't still be friends. We might not agree on everything, but that don't mean I don't like you as a person. I'm vaccinated. Joe Rogan is not vaccinated. I don't listen to him when he's talking, don't get vaccinated, because I believe you should be vaccinated. But I'm not going to hate him because he got a separate opinion. Yeah, I mean, hate is too much of that anyway. You're absolutely right about that. You know, you cannot agree with someone and still respect that they have a different opinion, for sure. I have a T-shirt that said that we don't have to agree, but we do need to respect each other. Mm -hmm. I'll give you another great example. I live next door in Indiana. My neighbor was a diehard Trump fan, and I'm a diehard Democrat. And my husband's like, how do you talk to that crazy man? I said, well, he's pretty fucking good at DIY. <laughs> <laughs> He can build some shit if he just turned off Fox News. And me and this guy were hanging, talking. 
And, you know, we would get into it sometime about politics, but I still like my neighbor. And I remember one day we made a bet who was going to win during election during Trump and Trump lost. And he got into a big argument. He's going to take your taxes. And I usually don't throw stuff like this out here. I say, sir, I love you to death, white man, but you work at the Social Security office and I make way more money than you do. I should be worried about some fucking taxes. You work at a Social Security office. Stop playing with yourself, <laughs> boy. He, he didn't speak to me for two weeks. <laughs> He did it. <laughs> I told him, I said, you don't even make enough money to be brave about no damn Trump taxes. And he got so mad at me. But then he said, I'm not watching politics no more. And I was like, I don't know how you deal with him. I liked him as a person, but we did not agree on politics. But that don't mean that I couldn't be his friend. That just means I needed to know the right time to talk about politics with his crazy ass. <laughs> right, right. And if everybody felt that way, because there's no anger in your heart. No, it's not. And that's the difference. That's the key thing is like if you have anger in your heart, you really can't move forward. But if you have no anger in your heart, anything is possible. Yeah. I mean, I deal with people all the time that think different from me. That's your opinion. Pain is like asshole. They all stink. Okay? I don't care. But I'm going to respect you. If you say that's what you want to believe in, that's fine. And I remember when Obama got elected and Black people like, you got to vote for Obama. You got to vote for Obama. And then somebody's like, why would you vote for Obama? He ain't for your tax break. And I was like, well, I'm going to do what I want to do to make me happy. And you do what you want to do to make you happy. But that doesn't mean we can't come together and be friends. And believe it or not, when I go out in the Midwest and I perform, I have white people sitting there with Trump hats on, and I don't treat them no different. Because that's what's great about America. We get to vote and believe in whatever the hell we want to. And we should still be able to have a cup of coffee and enjoy each other. I absolutely agree with you, 100%. But I draw the line at Obama because I love him. I do too. I love Obama, too. I, do I can't too. forgive anybody who's not on his side or Michelle. I mean, that's their opinion. People didn't like Bill Clinton, but I voted for Bill Clinton because he was sexy. Bob Dole was old and ugly and wink as hell. And I was 18 at the time. So I was like, who do I vote for? I got to vote for this cute white guy, not this old ass man. And that's how I became a Democrat. And when I tell people that, that's not the reason what it was for me because he was cute as fuck on that fly. <laughs> <laughs> he could talk too. Bill could talk. <laughs> but as a people, you have to open your mind and heart. And it's all about respect in the end. You know, I try to respect people even though I don't agree with them. If it's get to the point where I just can't take you, you know, I'll just go on by my business. I won't deal with you. But I'm definitely not going to just cut you off because we think a little different or we vote a little different or our religions are a little different because we don't have to talk about them things to care and enjoy each other's company. That's what I believe. Yeah, you're right. And you're so smart because everybody has something in common. We all have some things in common. We don't have to focus on what we don't have in common. If we care about being a human being, you can find things that you do have in common. And that's when we're all, I think, better when we're focusing on that. And guess what, Ellen? Tell me. My husband does carpenter work, too. And when I couldn't get my husband to do stuff, that man would come over there and put a cabinet <gasps> up and sometimes do a better job than my husband. Because my husband be mad that I asked him anyway. <laughs> and right. I'm like, I'm going to get the next old neighbor to do it. He ain't bringing his ass in here. And he'll jump up his <laughs> And he did it anyway. Yeah, a lot of time I would go get the next door neighbor because I like my next door neighbor. I mean, my dentist is one of the biggest Republicans you ever want to see. And I told him one day, I said, I'm going to come in here. You're going to be done had a heart attack with one of them scissors in your hand. You worry about Obama. You need to calm down before you kill yourself. 
but he was one of my biggest supporters as comedy. He was a nice guy, other than we didn't agree on how we voted. But I still liked him. Yeah, I mean, I think Obama is just too smooth for some people, makes some people uncomfortable <laughs> that there's a black man that smart, that smooth. Uh, I remember when he got elected, my son was like, Mama, why he talk like he white? I said, come here, son, don't ever say that. That's called education, okay? <laughs> <laughs> so how many children did you have of your own? I had two kids by a married man by the time I was 15. And then I had two more by my husband. So I have four. And then I raised my sister, four kids, for 10 years. Now I have custody of my niece, four kids. And I've had them since the baby was two weeks old. And she's nine now. And the older one is 13. I have a nine, a 11, a 12, and a 13-year-old. I have a 12, a 7, and a 5-year-old. And I mean, obviously, the world has changed and things are different. But what's the difference in raising young kids at this age as opposed to when you were 15 raising your kids? I'm a lot smarter now. I was a baby raising a baby back then. It was a lot of survival back then. Like when I sold drugs, I would have my kids on my hips, my kids in the trap. My daughter went to school across the street from the place where I sold drugs at. I'm a lot smarter now as a mother. The kids today, you just have to really watch them. Your biggest fight is the internet because anything can go on. They can go on the wrong place and you look up and they disappear. So it's just like keeping them grounded and stuff like that. So I have to keep more of an eye on them because, you know, I don't know when they're going to say the wrong thing. Or I remember we, I took them to Disney and they flew back and my niece was sitting next to this lady. And I have a daughter that's, to me, militant. She's all about Black people. She loves being Black. And sometimes she put a little too much in the younger kid's head. And she asked this lady, she was like, are you racist? All because the lady was white. And she's like, no, I'm not racist. She said, did you vote for Trump? And she was like, no. And she gave the lady our home address. And the lady sent us this big old buku of cookies and ice creams. And she was like, you know, you really touched me. And you was bold to ask that question. But I wanted to let you know I was not racist. And you're a beautiful black little girl. And just... And I was like, oh, my God, nobody was watching her. She just asked dumb questions like that. Well, not really dumb, but I had to have a talk with my 21 year old. I said, you got to be careful what you say to them because they go out in the world thinking this way about a group of people when it could be just one person that you're feeling that way about. And so I try to limit the Internet and make sure I talk things out. Like if there's a shooting on the news, I don't go and say, oh, white people are racist. I try to get to the bottom of that and explain to them why this officer shot this person or how is that officer in the wrong or what's going on in America? Because you never want to see it as a group of people. You want to point that individual out. Because I remember when I was little, I used to tell this story about my mom. My mama made me scared of white people when I was little. She said, white people are better than you. Never look them in the eye and they're the devil. My whole life, Ellen, I grew up scared of white people. Had never done anything to me. When I went to prison, I had no problem with nobody. No officer with me. Everybody treated me like a human being. But I could never look white people in the eye until I moved to the Midwest. And when I was writing my book. And I was telling the lady who ghost wrote my book. And she said, it's a slave mentality. And that's what your mama put into you. In my head, my mama told me that you guys were smarter. It was my husband that set me down one day and said, your mama is stupid. We're all the same. And I was able to lift my head up and to see the white community different. But my whole life, I was scared. I was looked down. I dropped out in the eighth grade and then I got a GED. So I was, you know, felt like I was never smart enough to hold a conversation with a white person. So I was just holding my head down until my husband told me we was all the same. And I was 32. But my whole time, I was scared of white people. 
all because she instilled that in me. So I try to tell my kids that I'm raising at least grandkids and ones that I have guardianship of, that we're equal. You don't clap a whole group of people because one person did one fucking bad thing. That's what's wrong with the world. Every black person ain't a thug. Every white man don't kill his wife. <laughs> That's a joke I used to tell. <laughs> okay? <laughs> Open your eyes. Do it individually. Don't do it as a group. Yeah. Take people for what they do. Don't group a whole bunch of people. Yes. You ever met somebody and they say, I know you probably heard this about me. Because I've met many people in this industry and said that. I said, look, I take you for who you are. If you was an asshole to that person, that ain't got nothing to do with me. Until you prove to me you're an asshole, then you're a regular person. Because if you did that, you wouldn't have nobody to talk to. Don't fuck with that person. They crazy. No, this is really a nice person. So you show me who you are. I'm not going to take anybody's word. It might make me pay attention, but I'm not going to go and totally write you off because somebody else's experience was different. What you probably showed me. Maybe I like that motherfucker. Maybe I like you. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Because I think I would possibly, if I saw someone yell at someone, I would probably judge them. No, I'm not talking about yelling. I'm just saying if somebody say, that person. Oh, oh, if someone talking shit about someone, yeah, I will wait and see for myself. I won't necessarily judge them by what someone else says. But if I see some crazy behavior, you know, yeah. someone shows you who they are, believe them, I guess, too. Yes, that's what I do. That's what I try to live by. And they have an open mind. And that's just me. I mean, I could be all fucking wrong. You're not wrong about anything. You're a breath of fresh air, Pat. I'm so happy to get this time with you. I know you're so busy, so I appreciate you making the time for me. No, I appreciate you making the time for me. <laughs> I hope you had fun. I did. I did. Thank you for having me on. Good. I really had fun with you. And like I said, I've been hearing about you for so long. And this time has been so fun for me. And we're going to get up in New York. We're going to see Jesse naked. <laughs> <laughs> You have a good weekend, Pat. You too. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Bye-bye.